the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. My voice is not good for any other thing aside from teaching this morning. I've successfully stressed it, but it will work for teaching. I will just have to ensure that I sound like a man. But just try and follow me and uh, pay attention. What we are considering today is a very, very crucial subject, and I want us to really, really absorb the conversation and be very, very engaging and participatory. I will soon tell you why this conversation is important. But let's take a text from Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18 and 19 and then subsequently Exodus 34. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is Moses talking here. Show me thy glory. And verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness. Everybody say, all my goodness. And all my goodness is quite a very interesting phrase. Pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy. On whom I will show mercy. Exodus 34, next chapter, and verse 5. So it was 8 thereabouts. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that is, he stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Now remember that this is an answer to Moses' request. Is that not so? And remember that God said he was going to show him all his goodness. Is that not so? So let's see all the goodness of God. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's a goodness. Keeping mercy for thousands. That's a goodness. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's his goodness. And that will by no means clear the guilty. That's his goodness. Fixing iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children. That's his goodness. Unto the third and to the fourth generation. All of that is his goodness. And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the heaven and worshipped. We will be considering the theology of God's goodness. Let's pray one minute. Holy Spirit, thank you for your words. Always active and always powerful. And always able to bring us illumination and understanding. Once again, we receive all that you offer through your words. And we declare that we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. The theology of God's goodness. The subject is very important for about three reasons. As a Christian, you should have an interest in this subject for about three reasons. The first is that if you don't understand this concept, you won't be able to explain or preach the gospel. The gospel is God's good news to all men. It's good news. And it's good news because of God's goodness towards mankind. 
And so many people say things like, if God is good, why is there hell fire? Why do we talk about God's goodness and talk about hell fire? How does a good God create hell fire? If God is good, why would God say, just because somebody is a Muslim, he will not go to heaven? Now, this controversy around the gospel is because the concept of God's goodness has not been properly understood by many professing Christians. And so some people believe that, well, to say that Jesus is the only way to God is kind of outrageous. And that there are millions of people who have never heard or who have never heard of Jesus or have met Jesus. Is God just going to send them to hell just because they did not accept Jesus? If you don't understand the theology of God's goodness, you won't have answers to that kind of a question. Why many Christians agree that God is good? Some of these questions posed by atheists or ungodly folks or liberal westerners seems to shake our balance. And we might be wondering, okay, how do you answer that kind of a question? A good God sending people to hell. There are theories that suggest that and you can say that emphatically, God does not send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell. That's, in a sense, accurate. But from scriptures, that's not the way it is put. And I'll show you. I'll show you that it is actually God who puts people to hell. Um, so, you have to have real answers. Beyond superficial statements of religion. So, this question of God's goodness in the face of seeming contradictory Evidences. Are we still together? Another reason why you have to understand the theology of God's goodness is to explain certain biblical events or accounts that seems to contradict the idea of God's goodness. If somebody asks you if your God is good, why did he order the killing of the Egyptians' firstborns? Some of the Egyptians' firstborns, perhaps with children. How does a good God order the execution of little children? How do you explain that? How do you say that an entire city, Sodom and Gomorrah, was destroyed by fire? And amongst those that were destroyed were little kids, I'm sure. The theology of God's goodness is important to understand the concept of the gospel. I was also saying the theology of God's goodness is important to understand certain biblical accounts that seems to contradict the idea of God's goodness. For instance, I was mentioning certain killings that took place in Old Testament books that were seemingly cruel and artless and very, very gory. Some of the battles that Israel fought and some of the wars that the nation engaged in on God's command. Somebody can look at it and say, if your God is so good, why did he tell his people to be killing other nations? There is currently a war in the Middle East that has lasted almost all ages because of this kind of controversies. Who says Israel is the owner of the land? I mean, why does Israel just come from Egypt and displace Canaanites from their land? It's their land. Who gave Israel the land? <laughs> you know, and all of these kind of questions. You have to be able to give real answers. Some people have postulated many ideologies that is not sound. For instance, some people have claimed that it wasn't really God in all of those operations, including the rainfall that displaced the entire generation of Noah. 
and even the Sodom and Gomorrah events probably was a tornado or a natural disaster and that God will never ever kill people that's a lame lame response by the time you investigate scriptures and when I mean scriptures I mean New Testament writings about these events you see that the New Testament writers said it was God who did it it's not every time that many of the things that are attributed to God is from God but there were specific cases where the writer clearly said this is what God did are we still together? And then lastly, this conversation is important if you are going to explain some of the negative things that happens in life. Pain and suffering and death and sickness and disease. People say, if God is good, why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? And as a child of God, you must be able to give answers. Not just answers that are accurate, but answers that are compassionate. One of the reasons... Many people have not been able to give compassionate answers to difficult life questions is because they don't understand the subject. They just say things like, uh, all I shall know is that God is good. And while that is a fundamental knowledge, you must be able to see more than that. Somebody just lost their father and the person is seemingly angry with God. It's your job to compassionately teach the person that God is not responsible for your father's death. No. Don't see it like that. That's not the first approach to the situation. Are we still together now? So, the theology of God's goodness is a very important conversation that we all have to grasp. And the first thing I want to say going forward is that in terms of defining who is good and what is good, Human beings in, its, in their natural state, we are too limited, we are too ignorant to define goodness. If I ask a natural man what is good, the things he may mention may be sinful things. Are we still together? He may mention, are we still together? He may mention things that if God is to answer, that would be an abomination. So, we are, too, we are too frail in our natural state to define the concept of goodness. That was the problem of Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And verse 6, the Bible says that she saw that the, the tree was good for food. It was good for food, but it was also poison. God had given an instruction and said, don't eat of this tree. In the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And then she went to look at the tree very well after Satan had a conversation with her. And the Bible says she saw that it was good for food. That was only to a natural understanding. It was not food. <laughs> it was poison. God saw the whole picture and said, this is not good. Don't eat it. Eve decided to act on a natural senses and looked at it only from a natural standpoint. Are we still following? And then she ate it and she died. And she gave it to her loving, darling husband and he died too. So, mankind is too, we are too frail in our thinking, in our perspective. We don't have a picture, we don't have a complete picture of things to be defining good and evil. And that's why one of the most ridiculous things for a human being to do is to try to define God. To say, God, according to me, God is good. Your experiences do not define God. 
Are you listening to me? How old are you? <laughs> How old are you? You know, you, you, you were born in 1993 and you just showed up and you began to say things like, God is not good. Come on. Abba. Your experience is too short. It's so trivial, eventually, to now use to judge the Asian of this was being before time began. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That's why as Christians, the first thing we want to encourage you is to get your definitions from God's word. No natural thinking person would believe that fornication or having intercourse with somebody that I love but I'm not married to is evil. Some of our fathers did not even believe that polygamy was evil and that Christians who don't believe that polygamy is evil. I've read another on Facebook. Who say a man naturally cannot stay with one woman. So polygamy is a good idea. Look at that. There are many unmarried ladies. Polygamy is a good idea. I mean, I was hearing the conversation of a Muslim cleric and I was explaining that polygamy is God's gift to Islam so that many women will be married. And there are many people who believe that kind of thing because and looking at it logically, it makes sense that, okay, instead of being at home, at least you are married as the fourth wife. Oh, it makes sense. It's good. So, you see, man, man's natural state cannot define good and evil. Cannot. Matthew chapter 19, I think it was 17, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good master, what good thing should I do to have everlasting life? Jesus said, You are calling me good. Nobody is good except God. Nobody is good except God. Man in his natural state is bad. So, out of that bad heart state, it cannot define good. The Bible says, The heart of the natural man. Not the spiritual man, not the regenerated man. The heart of the natural man is deep and desperately wicked. Yeah. He may be a moralist, he may be a religious, a religious fan, but his, his, his heart is deep and desperately wicked in its natural state. So, if we are going to define what good is, who good is, we have to go into scriptures. Not your experiences, not what somebody said, not what they teach now in textbooks and in several educational centers. And from scriptures, clearly, we see something very emphatically that God is good. And this does not have to appeal to your logic or appeal to your feelings. When I said it, when the Bible says it, you may not feel like it. Right now, you may have a quarrel with God. Some of you have been keeping malice with God for the past two weeks. You, and you, don't, you really don't feel good about God. You don't, feel, you don't want to talk to him. See, God, if I just came to church today on, say, make a shower, go. But this God matter, God will try for me. But the point is that your experience or your feelings does not change the truth. Are you listening to me? You, you don't have to feel that gravity is real. Gravity is real. And you may want to try it and test it. You may go to an aeroplane and say, you may enter a flight and say, there is no gravity Somebody posted a selfie and said in the airplane and he was capturing the cloud and he says, if there is God, where is he? See me, I'm in the clouds. So somebody now replied, just come out of the windows more. You will know. Just try now. You know, so, fact is not debatable by how you feel, by what you think, by your, pers- your own personal opinion, or what you think, shall. Those things are not in fact. It is what it is. Because scriptures cannot lie. Are you listening to me? 
And I'm saying this because you're a Christian. I will not attack this conversation from this end if you're not a Christian. I know that there are people here that are not Christians, I know. But for the most of us who are believers, the issue is that you address the matter from scriptures first and then we begin to build on to other arguments. What the scripture teaches is that God is good. And there are several things to buttress that point. Um, we have it in James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above the Father of light, whom there is no variableness, neither any shadow of turning. So it teaches that God is good and is responsible for every good gift. Are we clear on that? Uh, you, 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 you cannot, this cannot change for any reason. The idea of in whom there is no variableness teaches that this truth in the first part of verse 17 cannot change. It is just constant. In every season and every time, this is a constant truth. Um, a few other scriptures here to portray it. Um, Psalm 145 and verse 9 It says God is good to all The person who thinks that God is not good to him Actually, God is good to him The person who does not know God Who does not believe in God God is good to him Are you listening to me? God is good to all In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 and 45 It teaches that Our heavenly father Sends rain both to good people and evil people. The goodness of God is not a reactionary. It's not like we are good, then God will be good. No. Are you listening to me? Before you were born, before they talked about giving back to your great grandfather, God has been good. It's nothing is going to change that. So God's goodness is not a reactionary. It's not like, okay, God is looking for good people to show goodness to. God is constantly good. And I will show you that even the seemingly things that are not good, that people experience, or the things that people call not good, that people experience, it is also an expression of His goodness. The situation does not define God. God defines the situation. Are you getting this now? People accuse God a lot. I was telling you last week, I was very, 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 very irritated after the scenario of a celebrity child dying and a woman was saying where is God in all of this we try our best to serve him we go to church to keep his commandments we do our best, we give offering and give tithe and look at a little boy what did that boy do? Is the boy a sinner he just died like that that's and that person probably is a Christian goes to church, maybe even believes in Jesus but does not understand the theology of God's goodness it is easy to blame God when you are ignorant your ignorance will make you blame <laughs> people that are innocent. So, God is good. The scriptures emphasize this again and again. Now, the idea of God's goodness is not somebody offering free ice cream. How many of you heard the statement by the former governor of um, Borono State, Governor Shatima, about the vice president of the country? He said good leaders are only good for ice cream. No, he said good people do not necessarily mean good leaders. Good people should be selling ice cream. So the, the idea of goodness sometimes is misinterpreted to somebody who is just nice, a Mr. Nice guy. Are we following that? But that's not what the Bible teaches as goodness. That's what, people who talk about Jesus being a good God, I don't like the way this is sounding, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the, it's the, can't be the fun. Are we still together? Yes, okay, I think it's a bit better now. 
the idea of goodness is not somebody giving ice cream free of charge. And when people talk about Jesus being a good God, being a good Jesus, many times they think about a Jesus who is looking for homosexuals to hug and looking for homosexuals to kiss and who does not show any bit of negative emotion to anything evil. But that's not how the concept of goodness is defined in scriptures. In fact, you cannot claim that someone is good if he has apathy towards evil. What I mean is that if he's neutral towards evil, you cannot say someone is good. Are you following me? If you come and meet me and say, my neighbor, he beats me, he slaps me, and I say, hmm. That's what I say, hmm. And then I, you come again and I say, my wife, she used to punch me sometimes, and I say, hmm. If they ask you about me, you may say he's not a good man. Why? Because I have consistently shown like I don't care about evil happening on somebody. I don't care. Yeah, like I'm just very neutral to the concept. So you cannot say God is a ice cream offering God. Now, to understand the whole picture of God's goodness, you must know that His love and mercy is not the only fundamental attributes of his nature. We all agree that God is loving. Is that not so? And God is kind. You may want to say God is nice. However, that's not the only thing about God. We have God who is righteous, who is holy, who is also just. And some of the things that God does many times, especially in the Old Testament, and people say, how is this good? Is actually the goodness of God expressed as justice. Let me ask you a question. If you go to a law court, you take somebody there, and they, they brought a case, and the judge, the case is that somebody duped you of five million naira. Are we still together? Then they caught the person and they brought him, and then the judge looked at the person and said, Ah, he took you of five million naira. Ha, okay. You, what do you have to say? And that one says, Yes, I duped that. I took that. That's why did you do that? Said because she broke my heart. I was dating her and then she broke my heart. Judge now said that's a point. So that's a good point too. Let him free. Let him go, Joe. You too, why did you break somebody's heart? Now, if I ask you, is that a good judgment? What would you say? Is the judge a good judge? That's not good judgment now. Now, somebody may say, Ah, oh, such a nice judge. That's a daft statement. That's a daft statement. How do you say that? That's a nice judge. Justice and goodness work together. Do you understand this? So, it's not only love that God has us. Eternal, central attributes. It's not only love. That's a major attribute. That's the major attribute, actually. But, we have holiness. That God cannot, cannot tolerate sin in the sense that it's not compatible with sin. And for instance, in explaining the gospel, you must understand that Jesus died not just so that sin would be overlooked, but sin will be dealt with. If you say, God just said, because Jesus has died, okay, I'm not going to see sin again. That puts a question mark on the goodness of God. Sin was dealt with. Sin was deleted. That's why God was appeased. Are you following her? So it's not just that God was very nice and just say, everybody in the world, no problem. I forgive you. No, 
sin, because of his just nature and his holy nature, sin had to be dealt with decisively. That's why we have forgiveness of sins. Okay, so God's justice, God's holiness, God's love, all of these things work together. And if you begin to separate any of them distinctively, you may not get the whole picture of God and you may misinterpret many things. Now, let's progress here in this conversation. Are we still together? Many things that happen in scriptures that people attribute to God, many things that happen in life that people attribute to God, is actually not from God. Many things. Who was the first person to die? Abel. Who was responsible for Abel's death? Okay. After Abel, who was the next person to die? We are not too sure between Adam and Eve. I don't know who died first. But the Bible mentions that Adam died. Is that not true? Who killed Adam? What killed Adam? <laughs> Old age. <laughs> uh, that's a very smart answer. <laughs> yeah, if you go to a Wikipedia um, personal profile, you will see cause of death. And you might see a sickness or old age. I think for Kenneth Higgins, it is old age. I was very impressed because amongst the several pastors listed in some of those um, documents, Kenneth Higgins is probably the only person that you see the old age was the cause of his death. And all that. Okay, so will it be fair or will it be reasonable to claim that since God told Adam, in the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die, that God was the one that killed Adam? Are we still together? I'm asking the question. I'm teaching. So I'm not I'm not I'm not putting for the camera. If you don't understand it, no problem. I will go again. You will understand this one in Jesus' name. You understand this one. I'm not I'm not doing any visit for camera. You go learn this one today. God now the concept of death, it was God that first mentioned it. Adam probably was not aware of anything called death. And then God showed up one morning and said, oh, but around all the trees of the garden, you shall not you shall eat of everything. But in this this particular tree, thou shalt not eat it. For in the day thou eatest it, thou shalt surely die. And so Adam was suddenly conscious that there's a concept called death. Is that not so? And then after his darling wife gave him the tree to eat, he died first spiritually and then subsequently physically. Will it be fair for Adam to say, God killed me? It won't be fair. Is that not so? That would be very ridiculous thing to say. So many of the things that happens and people try to put the blame on God, and I will show you why that happens. So people put the blame on God because of concepts such as the sovereignty of God. If God is all-powerful, somebody asks, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he kill Satan? Satan has been alive since Adam's time. Why is Satan? Why does say God can't kill Satan? Why doesn't he kill Satan? Questions you have to answer. Don't just say, hmm. These are things you have to study and have answers to. Christianity is a spiritual faith, but you can also engage your brain. Are you listening to me? There is an intelligence of spiritual logic. So you're not just supposed to say, mm, I don't know, or God knew it. That's something you have to read, to research, study. <laughs> Alright. So many of the things that we attributed to God as death or negative circumstances, 
were not actually the works of God. There was never a possibility of death until Satan entered the equation. And God made man and made the earth and the universe in a very good state. In fact, when he finished his work, the Bible says God saw that it was very good. Is that not so? I mean, God even took a break. He rested. Because he finished the work. It was so good. He rested. So Genesis 1, we see the creation story. We notice at the end of the story, it was good. Genesis 2 gives us a little bit of more details as to the making of Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, a guy showed up. His name, Serpent. Or Satan, rather. Through the serpent. And then, from that point, we begin to see many bad things. Are you still listening to me? The only place where only good existed in scripture is Genesis chapter 1 from verse 4. There about verse 3 to Genesis chapter 3. After Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, bad and evil became a normal thing. And it was not because anything changed aside from the guy called Satan showed up in the equation. That simply means every time you see evil, the first place to check is Satan. Are you following me? You, you cannot see evil and then you say, where was God? No. Satan is the evil merchant. And many things we blame on God, we should actually be blaming on Satan and be, you know, resisting Satan. Many people accept many evil things in their lives because they feel it is evil from God. And maybe God is the one that is giving me this thing to teach me a lesson and all of that. So, evil fundamentally is from the devil. The word devil, in fact, can be pronounced the evil. Or the evil. The evil one. Are you following me? The, if you remove the D, you have E-V-I-L. Is the guy, is the merchant of evil. There was no evil until he showed up in Genesis 3. So don't be quick to say something is God's work. Meanwhile, it is Satan's work. The issue of God's sovereignty, God is all-powerful, that is true. However, many of us have not merged that with the truth of God's justice. Everybody say God's sovereignty and God's justice. So when he says justice, it refers to several things. One of the things he refers to is that God is just. This is also an expression of his goodness. In his just nature, he is not a bully. If I say, come here, my birthday is tomorrow. What I, now, I want you to go and deposit money in my bank account. And you say, I don't have money. And I say, you are telling your pastor you don't have money. I say, my birthday is tomorrow. Now, that's not just. It's not right. Are we still following? To receive things like worship and honor, you must be just. If you force it, it's not worship. God did not impose his power on the earth and on mankind after the fall. One of the reasons for that was because he's just. Now, when God made man, God made him like the ogre of this world. Are we still together? Genesis 1.28, he says that man should have dominion 
simply put, God was the boss, man was the manager. In, our, in, the, in the operations of this dominion, however, if man obeyed God, God will rule through man. But once man obeyed Satan, Satan will rule through man. Do we get that? So, after the fall, Satan began to rule in this world. That's why Second Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of this world. Now, God could have just stepped in now and delete everything and start again. That's not just... Have your faith. God will allow things to take its course, its full course, and must, through a just means, now regain dominion for man. If God does rule Ojoro, God will not be just. Satan will accuse God and say, God will be Ojoro master. Say, be, I collect the power from Adam and I collect them. Why just use Ojoro collector from my hand? So God said, okay, okay, that's happened like this. We have to have a real plan for redemption. Pray so that you will not say it's God that is giving me sickness tomorrow. Pray, pray, and learn and open your heart to understand these things. So that you will not say it's God that killed my father. God had just done Joro and wiped everything off. That would not be just. So God, Satan was in control. Satan, we know Satan was in control because when Jesus came into the world in Matthew chapter 4 and was tempted, Satan came to Jesus and said, bow down and worship me and all of the glories of this world will I give you. Is that not so? If Satan was not in charge of the glories of this world, then why did he say that? He was in charge. He owned it after Adam sinned. As long as Adam obeyed Satan at that point, Adam yielded dominion to Satan. And so Satan was now in charge of this war. Do we understand that now? But, but God was not going to just come and use his sovereignty and just wipe everybody out. And no, God was not going to do that. He had to do it in a way that he would never be accused of being unjust. So many things happened, many things happened until Jesus eventually became flesh or came to the world and then redeemed mankind and gave it and gave dominion to the church again. Of course, that redemption has been paid for, but it has not been experienced in full. It will experience in full at the end of this age. Alright, let's progress here. Let's progress here. Beyond Satan's influence, also, please note the issue of man's choices. The choice of man goes a long way to determine what the experience, whether good or evil. That's something that God kept teaching Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15. It says that I place before you good and evil, life and death. And it says choose good, choose life. So you have a choice. Somebody says why doesn't God just choose for us? If God chooses for us, it will be unjust. Hello? 
some of you are, some of you are suffering from the injustice of your parents. Your parents decided when you were born that you would be a doctor. And you don't like medicine. You hate him blood. See, today in your heart, you still, you still hate your parents' decision. But you have to be an obedient child. But that's not just. It's not fair. That, that your will is over um, reading, as it were, and then there's an influence that imposes its own desires on you. That's not fair. And that's not how God works. God is not a bully. So, man will have to choose. In that day, where God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. It was simply an opportunity to make a choice. Why of all trees? We don't know other trees that were good for food. Answer me. Why suddenly did Eve now go to that particular one? Only one, no? And now one gone, 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 she can't go. Say it's good for food. What have you been eating all this while? But it was a choice. She made a choice. And she's, she suffered from the consequence of her choice. And all of humanity suffered from that consequence. And all of humanity will suffer from that consequence until they accept the life of Jesus. If worship and obedience and allegiance to God is not freely offered, it cannot really be worship. It cannot really be called worship. It's one of the reasons that God did not exterminate Satan immediately. You see, God created a platform for even angels to choose if they will follow him. Even, so, when, when, when Lucifer fell and some angels walked with him, God, God, God just chased him away. He did, not, he did not delete their existence. Because let it be that people always have a choice. Let it be that people always have a choice. And of course, some of these things we may not fully understand until the end of this age, but you can have clues to understand that if you know that God is just, God is not a bully, you know why he allows many things to take its seemingly natural course. And then he intervenes in a very wise way, in a way that nobody can accuse him of being a juru. Alright. Satan is the evil one who have explained that yes, God is all-powerful, but because he's just and he wants to give people the opportunity to worship him freely without a sense of being forced he does not override the will and the choice of men I've read somebody say heaven will be boring I think that I will not want to stay with Domwen and Ron Kenoli. maybe now with Chandler Moore it looks like it's going to be a bit more exciting but I'd rather be with Tupac and Diggy and all of those guys they are my kind of folks well and that's their choice. Are you following me? Yes, how many of you? How many of you really think that even will be interesting? Seriously, talk your judgment. Seriously. If I tell you now that in heaven all we do is worship, you say reason now. Morning to night. Ah. We no go watch ball. Ball no good. Cinema no day for heaven. Wait to shower. Okay. That cannot talk shawarma. Because there will be other things that will. But many of the amusement and entertainments that we have come to get used to. If you say you know go there, you go see one go. 
reason I wear no reason I wear. I like the song. Who sang it? I'm not sure. He spoke about um, I'm not going for the gold or so. Then McClucken. Uh, something about as long as you are there. As long as you as long as you're there. I'm not thinking about the the what? Sights. When we when we there to enjoy the view, and it says that uh, as long as Jesus is there, that's where all heaven is. Now, some of you on the earth are not excited about Jesus, and they are not saying that in that heaven, that's the only person that is really interesting. That's the superstar there. How you go cope now, my brother? How you go? How you go down? So when you see somebody say this heaven matters, <laughs> the way they are talking about it, I don't just say. And then somebody now has a fake vision of heaven. And then when he got to heaven, he saw everybody wore white. And they were doing like this, and they were singing very slow songs. Him, Hallelujah! He called. Can't no good day. Hip hop no good day. Who can't go to heaven? I will go there forever. Everybody say forever. Hi, you know, be one chance to be that. Forever, we don't do that. Hallelujah. So, <laughs> what was I even trying to say before I got to this point? Man has to make a choice. You make a choice. If you feel that Jesus is, is, is what you want to follow, is who you want to follow, you make a choice. And your choice will have consequences. God will teach you to make choices. The consequences will follow. God will not influence the consequences. And many times you don't influence the consequence. It's not you are not the one that will determine the consequence. You are not the one. God may warn you. The day God told Adam, you you will die if you sin. That's what God would do, and we stop there. Adam made the choice, ate it. The consequence would happen. It would happen. You cannot control that. You can control your choice, but you cannot control your consequence or the consequence. Do we understand that? All right. Now let's go on to a few other things that are a little bit more controversial. We've established that some of the things that we attributed to God is not God. What about the ones that actually was God? Once again, some people begin to say things like, no, it was not God. It was not God that sent rain in Noah's generation. The cloud was full. And suddenly it began to pour and it did not stop. And then everybody was now drowned. And then after everybody was drowned, then the rain now borrowed sense and stopped. It was, not, it was a natural occurrence. That's not smart. Christians should not be talking like that. Amen. Sodom and Gomorrah, it was not God. Some people suggest there were activities of angels. That gives an impression that angels can be disorderly. But no, that's not the way the Bible teaches the subjects. Let's see two books and two authors. The book of Jude and from verse 5. Let's see how the conversation is stated in the New Testament. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The Egyptians, right? Um, Noah's generation. Who was responsible for the destruction? Let's get into scriptures. And if we want to use Old Testament writings, we can give the excuse of some of the languages employed in the Old Testament actually suggested something else. For instance, there were appearances of angels in the Old Testament that was written as Lord, or even God, actually. So that's true. The Old Testament writings, and I'll probably teach on this next year, if God gives me all trans in that direction. You will see some places where the person that was addressed was actually an angel. But actually people called him God. Do we understand that? But now the New Testament also here writes something. And notice the conversation. 
How we, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you won't do this. How that the Lord, everybody say the Lord, Lord. having saved the people. Now, who saved the people? Lord. Who saved the people? It, now, so once we establish this fact, we establish the next statement. Because it's the same person responsible for the same work. He saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Now, in this verse, let us now use the lenses of New Testament education to explain. When the Bible says that he destroyed them, it didn't necessarily mean, or it didn't mean that God came and was killing the Israelites. It meant that there was a consequence of their rebellion. They disobeyed God, they walked in unbelief, they grumbled and murmured, and because of that, they were exposed to many destructive influences. Snakes would come, bite them. Do you understand what we are saying? Now, so, it will be reasonable to say that in this case, it wasn't like God came and was killing his own people. But, we eventually see that the writer lets you know that, okay, there was seemingly an action that God took that allowed or permitted the destruction of them that did not believe. Are we clear on that? Let's go on to a few other things in verse 6 and verse 7. And the angels, now, I like the fact that it now brings the angels into the equation. Because if you say that it was angels that judged man in the Old Testament, and it was not God, who now judged these angels? Was it an angel that judged another angel? Hello, do you understand my logic? If you say it was angels that judged the man, okay, who judged these angels? Angels that kept their that kept on their first estate. Pastor Chris Yakulome believes that these angels were the ones in Genesis chapter 6 who came and had intercourse with women, beautiful women. When they saw women, they're like, hey! And they had intercourse and gave back to giants. That's what Pastor Chris teaches in this direction. It's a controversial subject. We're not going to go much into that, but everybody has their ontological persuasion in that respect. Left their own habitation, he had reserved in chains under darkness unto judgments of the great day. Remember, the same person or the same personality responsible for saving the Jews out of Egypt and then suggesting destroying them and then saying he reserved angels for judgment. He's talking about the same person. Are we getting it now? And verse 7 and Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, as said for, for an example, suffering the vengeance of the Son of Fire. So he mentions Egypt, that is, the Jews that were destroyed in the wilderness. He mentions the angels. He mentions Sodom. And he says that he's the same person that was responsible for all of this. The same person. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And spread, start from verse 4. If God, if who? Who is speaking here? Peter, is that not so? so? You don't want to say that Peter meant if an angel. That, 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 that would be, that would, that would really be unfair to see. If an Old Testament author said that, you may say, some, some of the writers in the Old Testament, but if Peter said, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, same thing that you said. But cast them down to hell. That's why I told you that if you say people choose hell, God does not send anybody to hell. It's not necessarily biblically accurate. Or it's not biblically holistically accurate. Because he says God cast them. Who cast them to hell? Who? God. God cast down to hell. Right. And deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. 
and spared not the old world, but saved Noah. So the old world is speaking about the generation of Noah that was drowned in a flood. Who saved Noah? Who spared? Who did not spare the old world? Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Who brought in the flood? Let, let's just respect. You see, you may not like it. If you try to subject Bible, Bible realities to your feeling and your logic, you will miss it. First of all, accept what the Bible teaches, then begin to interpret everything in that light. Do you understand me? Not the other way around. You don't use events to interpret the Bible. Use the Bible to interpret events. Verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Who turned it into ashes? God. And we know that they were angelic messengers because there were about two or three of them that Abraham conversed with. Who told Abraham, tell your daughters to tell their boyfriends that we are destroying this place. They should move. Well, you cannot say the angels just came on their own. Angels just say, hey, so dumb. We are not going to take permission from God. We are going to go and send fire. You know? Abba, angels. That's a, that's, that's a disrespect to their orderliness, please. So Peter now said, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, and he told us why he did that. He says, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Are we together? Yes, so this, this is not something you can run away from. It's in your Bible. And somebody asks you, I say, Wait, in Sodom's time, was there not a baby in Sodom? Are you trying to say that our baby was an homosexual? How come God did not separate the baby and destroy only the adult? In Noah's generation, are you saying that there were no innocent people? Small, small children. And God now drowned everybody. And you say it's a good God. You have to have an answer. Don't just say, eh, but the Bible say. After you say the Bible say, you must explain. How do you explain that a good God drowned babies? A good God drowned or sends fire to little children. How do you explain that? Now, basic explanation. Let me, because I don't, I don't think I have time. Basic explanation. God is not our mate. Say you know. I don't have to remind you. There are things he knows you don't know. There are things he sees you don't see. He is also not just knowing or knowledgeable. He is all-knowing. He knows the end. He has seen patterns and seen chains of activity and he knows how it will end. So if we say, before he gets here, I will terminate it here. He knows what he's doing. God is not our mate. If, he say, if you say, hey, but God, could have, God could have removed the baby now and uh, somehow we have orphanage. You know what? We have orphanage in the ark. And they will be taking care of all the babies at least. You really think that if I have a child in the day of Noah's generation, and I don't believe in Noah, I will allow parents to enter the ark. You really think that's how it works, Abi? I will say, hey, I don't believe in Noah. Noah said there will be rain. Me, I don't believe you. But parents, enter. So that just to be sure, to be safe. It is, it is, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens now. So, there are many informations we don't have available to us. However, because we know God is good, we cannot begin to deduce that some of these things could have been like this, could have been like that. But what was the issue? The issue was that after man, man fell, God needed a redemption plan. Let's even go back to, gen- to, to examine and investigate the goodness of God. What did God do to Adam after he fell? 
They cast him out of the garden of Eden. And why did he cast him out of the garden of Eden? It was out of God's goodness. Because if Adam had stayed in the garden, what the conversation ensued in Genesis chapter 3 was that they will eat of the tree of life, which means they will become immutable. They will be they will live forever. And if they live forever in that state, man will never be able to be redeemed again. There will be no possibility of the seed of the woman being born to redeem mankind. Are you listening to me? There will be no Jesus. So it wasn't good. Now, if you read the conversation and say, God says Adam, you know who pity him? Your good God. Because he I shall know. Huh? If somebody offend you once, not only once, Adam offend God, the only once. At least forgive him now. He can't taste and come off my house. And actually, that was done to preserve the possibility of man's salvation. Are you following me? In case I'm not satisfied with that account, when Cain killed his brother, what did God do? No, the conversation was God said, Where is your brother? Is that not so? Cain said, I'm not my brother's keeper. God said, the blood, this is Genesis chapter 4, please. The blood of your brother Christ. And then, God gave a justice statement. He gave a punishment. Put it in Genesis chapter 4 now. Let's see the conversation, please. Verse 7. Oh, go down, go down. This, this was before the killing itself. Come down, come down to verse 8 9. Where is Abel that brother? Okay. Verse 10. The voice of your brother Christ. Go ahead. Verse 11 and 12. Now thou art cursed from the earth. Now this is God being just. If God had said, you have killed your brother. Okay, well done, no. How would you say that God is good like that? I'm saying to you that God's justice is an expression of his goodness. Are you following me? You can't say God is good and he knows that somebody died and he says, hmm, and you see, he's a good God. Doesn't make any meaning. So, if he's acting on evil, his punishing of evil is an affirmation of his goodness. So, that was cursed from the earth. Look at verse 12. But just to show you that all the, all the attributes of God, his holiness, his justice, and his mercy, was still working at the same time. Look at the next conversation. Verse 12. Thou shalt till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee a strength. Verse 13. Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment, so you need punishment, is greater than I can bear. Wait, if now you, what you will talk? You keep it, say. The judge can say, Alright, you are cursed from the earth. The ground will be hard. You now say, It's too much. The judge will not kill you back, or he will send you to, to death. He say, that it will be hard for you. To, and you, you, you now say, you too much. Now reduce them. If you are the judge, will you not say, ah, ah, You don't mind though. Look at what God said. Verse 14. Behold, thou was driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the, in the earth. Interestingly, Cain really was worried about the fact that there was going to be seemingly less interaction between him and God. Are we together? Um, he, was, he was really not happy that he was not. I don't know why he wanted to see God. Say, you a wicked man. You killed your brother. I don't know why he wanted to see, he wanted to see God's face or have 
interaction with God. Anyway, it shall come to pass that everyone that shall find me shall slay me. Okay? And verse 15. Now, all of this is also controversial. You are asking yourself, who are the other ones? Because at this point, we only are told about Cain, Abel, Adam, and Eve. Is that not so? I will teach on those subjects later. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whatsoever slayed Cain, vengeance now. Look at God saw that he was feeling insecure. And then God began to make security measures for somebody who just killed his brother. That's the mercy of God. That's the goodness of God. He, he saw that Cain was feeling like, I'm not going to survive this punishment. So he began to say, okay, okay, I will um, I I make sure that you are covered. So all of those attributes of God, the mercy of God, the just of God, the holiness of God, they all, they, none of them stops working. Even if God, when God gives a seeming punishment, in that state is still merciful. And His mercy is still expressed. In fact, it is out of His mercy He punishes. All of those are expressions of His goodness. Are you following me now? I was trying to explain from Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. Now, God saw that from the Adam example we see, we see, if mankind ate the tree of life, it would not be redeemable. So the goal was redemption. Everybody say redemption. Yes. Everything that was a threat to redemption, God took it out. So when God called Israel, this is why, for instance, God gave Israel permission to destroy the Amalekites, the Canaanites, and all of them. When God gave Israel that word, go to the, this nation, and God will specify, this is the nation. There were some nations God did not allow Israel to even touch. See, these ones, don't touch them. Don't even take any of their land. But these ones, don't just kill them. Destroy everybody there. God saw something that man did not see. What did God see? God saw a threat to the redemption plan. And the redemption plan was for the good of man. Is that not so? But guess what? It was not just for the good of the Jews. It was for the good of the whole world. Amalekites and Canaanites inclusive. God is not your mate. So you may just say, ah, uh-uh. God told Saul to go and kill everybody in, the, in, in Amalek. Even children. In fact, God was angry that the king was spared and I think some ships. That was how God said, everything was go. Everything that threatened redemption, God decisively dealt with it. And it began with Noah's generation. God looked at the picture in Genesis chapter 6 and the Bible says that he saw that the world was becoming very, very evil. The imagination of mankind was so evil. To show that God had a messy agenda, even in his expression of justice and his plan to keep redemption intact, he created a platform for salvation. Build an ark. And goodness me, the ark was a mighty ark. It contained a lot of people. However, only eight human beings know what's family dare to believe. So even in sending the flood, God was still merciful to say, just in case you people want to repent, to, the act is still available. The mercy did not stop because he was being just. Do you understand that? It's all of his goodness. But he knew that if he did not destroy the first world, the redemption plan will never come to pass. How do I mean? The first world was going to continue in a degenerative state. So that eventually, in the day when Jesus will need a family to be born into, there will be no one family. For instance, some of the nations that God commanded Israel to decisively deal with and end, they had certain practices of offering their children as sacrifice, similar to abortion. So it was possible that in the day that 
if God allowed that perversion of Noah's generation to continue, and there were species of human beings that were very different from normal human beings as it were. In the day that God had planned, okay, after so so yes, I will send Elijah, and after so so yes, I will send Jesus. There will be no landing place for Jesus. If. There will be nobody who could be. Now, of course, we know that the spermatozoa of Joseph and the eggs of Mary were not involved in the birthing of Jesus. We know that, right? Yes, but what if Jesus was born to that family and they carried him and offered him a sacrifice to Molech? So God, God saw the. So, okay, the way this thing is going, if I don't terminate this one, there will be no space to redeem them eventually. So, but he still allowed mercy and said, in case you now want to hear what? There's an act. Nobody can accuse God of saying, He didn't even give me a chance. Nobody. Nobody. God is just. But they rejected it. And we read that they were drowned. The first world was drowned, except Noah. Subsequently, this thing seemingly happened again in Sodom and Gomorrah. God looked at maybe the population growth and the culture of the people. He also probably discovered that they were very influential in terms of how they affected other nations. Maybe the Sodom was like Canada. I'm not against Canada. I'm only trying to explain how people were flocking into Canada. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are we still together? So that's why I believe a just man like Lot will say, I want to go to Sodom. It must have been like the happening place. And God said, this city is a very influential city. Everybody's coming here. When they come here, they will learn the ways of the city. When they learn the way of these cities, they will take it to their own cities and replicate the pattern. What I'm going to do is that I'm going to remove it from the equation. To slow down the sequence multiplication of perversion. So that the redemption plan will be possible. How would you feel if in the day Jesus was supposed to come, Joseph married John? Shall you know that? Follow. Jesus was not going to come except through the lineage of David. He could not just say, eh, God could have another family. There was a family that he had to come to. Now, if Israel did not destroy those people, they would teach Israel those ways of homosexuality, perversion. And then 300 years down the line, the Jews will embrace that. So, how will Jesus be, how will Jesus be born to a homosexual, a gay couple? So, God said, no, we have to fix this. Just like we fix no generation, we fix this too. Move. Do you understand that? Simple day-to-day relatable experience. If a finger is infected with something, and the doctor says this thing is going to be very dangerous to the entire body, I recommend you remove the finger. Remove the finger. Save the body, remove the finger. That's actually for the good. Everybody say for the good. It's not an evil counsel. So, that explains things like the destructions when God sees that based on his absolute intelligence, this particular nation, this particular people, at the rate they are going, they would hinder the redemption plan he would say we terminate it here so that the plan will be achievable, do you understand me now let's talk about a few other things too about the laws of God to Israel they were very strange laws now, laws that you may call strange. And once again, don't buy the idea of angels gave the law. It was not God. Angels were mediators of the law. Don't, don't buy that idea that the law did not come from God. Or some of them will say the law came through Moses, according to John chapter 1. That's the way it is written, but that's not the concept. Moses did not download the law from his mind. The Bible says he went to a mountain 
Are we getting it? I think the first one, God was even when I wrote it. And then he got, he got angry and broke it. And then God wrote another one for him. So don't, all those, it's Moses that gave law. Let's stop those kind of talk, please. It's very annoying. Moses received the law from God. And, gave it, and that's why subsequently in New Testament theology, you see Paul emphasizing that the law was good. Because all good and perfect things come down from above. The law was good. It's just that it can be abused. It's not only bad things that can be used wrongly. Even good things that can be used wrongly. So the, the law was good. It came from God. Don't give by the impression that it was a, it was a, a, a very wicked angel, angel Gurimu, that came and said, Moses, take. No. If God gave the law to Moses, why did God give the law to Moses? It was all part of the redemption plan. Particularly laws that had murder or death sentences. God was trying to slow down. He knew he could not eradicate the concept of sin. Are we still together? Yes, try and follow. I know I'm not, I'm not exciting, but try and follow. This, I want you to get it. If not, you'll be on Twitter and you become an atheist. Because somebody will ask you one question. How can a good God say that just because somebody was caught in adultery, they should stone him to death? How do you explain that? A good God. Uzzah touched the ark and died. And he was a good man. He wanted to help the ark from fall. And he died. Why did God kill him? What a consequence? Or the Bible says he's a Satan or an angel. But the law did not permit such touching. Are we together? And it was God that gave that law. Now, I'm saying here that the law was given to show the weight of sin. To show how terrible sin was. People can look at sin and think, it is just my weakness. I don't know if you have heard something like that. I'm not a bad boy. You just be saying, I love woman. It's my weakness. You don't know how, because you are defining sin in man's natural logic. That's how you are defining sin. When, you see, how do you say, just because person chopped tree. Now you can say, the tree was symbolic. Some people believe that the tree was symbolic. Well, if the tree was symbolic, the fruit was symbolic, maybe Eden was symbolic, maybe Adam was symbolic, maybe the punishment was symbolic, maybe death was symbolic. You have to be careful with some of those things that suggest everything in Genesis was symbolic. The Bible mentions God creating trees, Abi, creating animals. So if you just say everything is symbol, you have to be careful. If not, you would, uh, there are certain things that you have to. Uh, this is uh, when you talk about serpents, for instance. You cannot just limit this to snake. And every time you see snake, you say, "Now there will be this." That's not how it works. But don't get too extreme in your symbolism theology. I was teaching that. Um, I forgot what I was saying. What? The law of Moses. Yeah, I was saying that. How do you explain somebody eating of the tree and dying? You feel that that's not a just punishment now? Abba, Eve was hungry and she ate tree and then God said dead. Abba. Well, for God, God does not, because of God's perfect nature, God does not see sin as all these things like weakness and all of that. God sees sin as rebellion, treason. It is so good that Satan used it to take over dominion for man. That's how weighty sin is. Many of you don't understand sin in that direction. That's why some of you wonder why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just say, I'm in a good mood, I forgive you? Sin is so weighty, death must happen to appease sin. 
That's what I'm saying. Explain the gospel. Can I just say, I like Jesus? Well, this talk will be saying, they say he died. And God is already again. Ha! You know, you know, make sense. So, if you know die, you are not delivered from your sins. It was death, is death that could atone for sin. So, the law showed the sinfulness of man, and many of those extreme punishments, as it were, was to slow down the multiplication of sinful actions and sinful ideologies and sinful cultures. Subsequently, so that eventually in the redemption plan, there will at least be a same person in the lineage of David who Jesus can be born through. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If Israel, and that's why God was very strict with Israel, the standard for Israel was different from the standard of other nations. Israel was chosen as some of you think that Israel was special. Israel is special because they were the ones that gave birth to Jesus. That's why Israel is special. If you remove Jesus from the picture of Israel, there's nothing after. Some of you going to Jerusalem, go and come back. You are no more anointed. There's nothing there. What makes them different is that they were the nation that Jesus, the plan that God was to save the whole world. And God had to preserve them. So he gave them laws just to curb. The laws did not eradicate sin. We know that they, in fact, sin was still plenty. That's all the laws. But it's curbed and slowed down the mass multiplication. So sometimes Israel will sin, they'll be taken into slavery, you know, and all of that, and then they will repent for, for another 50 years. Then they'll go back to their country. Then some things will stop. Then they will, they will begin to run nuts again. They will start this, they'll go to another slavery again. God was just trying to buy time. Okay. See, the redemption plan comes. Do you understand this now? That's how when the redemption plan came. Jesus now stopped all of that. Say, no, 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 no. You don't have to stone the woman to death. Ah, no, 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 no. I have come. I have come on the plan. Do you understand that? But if the plan was not followed through, he would not have come. No place to land. Mary would have been a lesbian. Mary and Mary Magdalene would have married each other. <laughs> Do we understand this now? Let's see a few other scriptures to show God's to show that God's judgment is good. Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse six to seven. I would like you to see once again how the New Testament writer describes this. This is Paul speaking. Second Thessalonians chapter one and verse six to seven. Seeing it is a righteous thing. Everybody say righteous thing. With God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, go on. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that do not know God and them that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul teaches that the ultimate judgment, because this is futuristic, it is futuristic because right now we are in the year of God's favor. Um, I taught you this in January if you listened. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is, I'm not talking about 2022, I'm talking about the timeline in God's agenda, this is a year called the year of the Lord's favor. What that means is that all of the judgment that was very rampant in the Old Testament, Jesus took it already on the cross. Hello? He took it already on the cross. So God will not punish mankind again for what Jesus already paid for. God is not doing that. That's why God's attitude and disposition towards the sinner right now is reconciliation. We, are not, we, have, we have settled. Come. Come back. We have settled. God is not looking at the sinner trying to punish him. No, because he has already punished Jesus. 
Do you understand that? But before Jesus came, all of those laws had to happen to slow down the process, as it were, of perversion. But it says that in the future, in the future vengeance, it is righteous. God will not be called wicked in the day of vengeance. This is the day of salvation. There is a day of vengeance. Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of God is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives and all of that and all of that and all of that to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord which in Luke chapter 4 is called the year of the Lord's favor. Put it in Luke chapter 4. Okay, hold on. Let's see this one. Come down to verse um, 3 and 4. This is three. Okay, come down. Start from verse one. Maybe it's verse one. Verse two. Okay. Now to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Is that not so? And the day of vengeance of our God. But if you read this like this, you may not understand. After this comma is thousands of years. So when Jesus should open Luke chapter four, check it out in verse sixteen, thereabouts. Luke chapter four. The Spirit of God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach. So he was quoting this. In fact, the Bible says he opened the way it is written. Is that not so? Yes, preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the broken hearted, to preach the rest of the captives, the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Go ahead. To preach the acceptability of the Lord. Go ahead. And he closed the book. Why he closed the book was because that is the year we are in. He did not read the vengeance of our God. Do you understand me? So we are not in the year of vengeance. We are in the year of his favor. That means God is not quarreling with man. Jesus has paid for man's sin. God wants to save man. God is saving man. Do you understand that? But there's a day of vengeance. Now in that day of vengeance, nobody will say, God is a very wicked God. Don't go. God is righteous. God is just. His vengeance is just. His favor is just. And his, his vengeance is good. His favor is good. Do you understand me? Revelation chapter 16. Let's see all these revelations. It's not Genesis. Ah, you went through the first book, instead of the last book. Amazing. <laughs> and I heard a good voice of out of the temple saying to these seven angels, Go your ways. And pour out the vials of the wrath of God. Everybody say, wrath of God. Upon the earth. Once again, this is futuristic. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous saw upon the men which had the mark of the beast. And upon them which worshipped his image. Go ahead, please. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water and they became blood bad stuff is that not so obviously good stuff let's hear what the angel said and I heard the angel of the water say that what it's not in the day of his vengeance is righteous is good O Lord which has and that was and shall be because that was judged is but they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and I was giving them blood to drink for they are worthy. And I heard an hour of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgment. 
So, you must understand everything God does. Everything God does. None of them is wicked. None of them is bad. None of them can be called evil. None of them can be called evil. Say, God, are you saying you killed everybody in Sodom? Righteous God. Good God. If he did not kill them, we know there will be no salvation. Are you listening to me? And then after that, you saw his mercy when he was negotiating with Abraham. Abraham said, if you find 50 righteous men, you saw his mercy. His mercy was still available. He never stopped being merciful because he wanted to exact judgment. Oh dear. Alright. Let's... Uh... I've explained the concept of the law, particularly the ones with death sentences. Well, let me explain the concept of the law with respect to how Galatians chapter 4 teaches it. No, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 downwards. Are we still together? Actually, just after 10. It's just after 10. Everybody say just after 10. I know you feel like it's 1 o'clock, but it's after 10. You are feeling like... <laughs> just after 10. Alright, let's go to verse 30 thereabouts. Go to verse 32. Okay, this is next. Um, one minute. There's a conversation before the Galatians, before the fourth chapter. I don't want to miss out. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3. Alright, we'll start from verse 24. Or verse 23. Let's start from verse 23. But before faith came, I taught you what faith in this context is. If you listen to my teaching, if you were there, what is faith? Now, now, In this context, what is faith? No. In this context, faith is relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So before faith came, before the possibility of relating with God through Jesus Christ came, do you understand? Yes, Are we together? Yes, sir. We were kept under the law, showing you that there was a way we related with God before Jesus came, called law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And of course, it's talking about the revelation of Jesus in the flesh. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto who? So you see that faith there is actually Christ or the Christ life. Are we together? So the law was the primary school to bring us into Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, that is after we have received Jesus and Jesus has done his work, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Once you have a PhD, what do you need primary school teachers for? For your children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then Galatians 4 goes on to talk about the heir, as long as he's a child, different nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Go ahead and verse 23. But his under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. See that? Made of a woman made under the law. Okay. What we are saying here is this. In the state of infancy of mankind, 
there were certain operations of God once again to limit the spread of evil. And that is very relatable in our normal parenting world. They will get to an age where I will not be able to spank Perez. If I spank him, he should be able to spank me back at that age. And I'm sorry if your parents beat you. I'm sorry. But don't treat your children like that. You train up a child in the way, in the way you should go. And when he's old, it is expected he will not depart. Do you understand? You don't train up a, an old man. That does not mean old people don't have trainings. But there are trainings for children. There are trainings for adults. Do you understand that? Yes, I know people in this church that are parents beat them. But if you are like that, don't, don't think that that's normal. That's very abnormal. Don't, don't treat your children like that. So, if Perez is spanked and you are not somebody who understands goodness from accurate theology, and Perez start crying, you can say, ah, kodedao, daddy, kodedao. You are saying, Daddy, you have done evil by beating the boy. Is that not so? Meanwhile, my beating was goodness. My beating was a very great, except I did not beat him for the right reason. If I used the rod for wrong reasons, but if I beat him, how many of you, when you were growing up, thanked your parents for beating you? Because you saw discipline, punishment, or chastisement as evil. Meanwhile, really, it is good because some of you will have not been in church this morning. If not, that one day, a barato or day, when Sunday morning you went to play a game, your mother, your mother gave you a bara. Some of you, I remember when I was growing up, I used to be very fascinated, I've always been fascinated by games. So, my mother began to notice that, first of all, games and television. The worst beating I received in my life was when I went to watch Papa Jasko at a street opposite. My mother said, where are you coming from? I said, I went to watch Papa Jasko. I felt that that was a justifiable reason. Goodness me. The last thing I remembered was that people were trying to help me. My mother used broom. broom. We were removing the, the broom. We didn't have, we were too poor to have a TV. But my mother hated the fact that she felt it was covetousness. She felt satisfied in your own house. Don't go to a stranger's house. If they give you sweets there, and you become a wizard. Because of Papa Jasko. Sit down in this house. Don't go to and watch any Papa Jasko. You know those little trainings trained me to be a better person. In the day my mother beat me. I said, Mommy, 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 But now I'm saying thank you, Mother, that you were smart enough to remove that foolishness from my soul. Papa, where is Papa Jasko today? I just go and company. <laughs> you know this song? I don't know if they are still producing. It was everybody's obsession those days. My mother would never. Then one other day, she told me to go and grind pepper. I, I was going to grab pepper. I saw a game as we were playing PS2. I, I, I was down there. Somebody was not running. Pour the pepper on the ground. You know what's next? <laughs> I didn't even go over that night. I didn't go. I didn't go. My mother looked at me and said, Kill your shell. She was already worried. I poor Pepe. You poor Pepe. Okay, come on. Friends, come on. At least you will sleep now. Now, consider their life that they go beat. The next day. 
those trainings, and that's what Hebrews chapter 12 teaches, I think, they don't seem palatable, they seem like evil. But they made me good, made me better. Are you following me right now? So all the extreme disciplines that God put the Jewish nation through was towards the ultimate good of having Jesus come so that the world will be saved. There is no evil in God. You may not understand it. You may feel, ah, how does he do this and do this and do this and say he's God or say he's good? But there are many things he knows you don't know. There are many things he's looking at you cannot see. And if you investigate, you will probably have some, some clues as to confirming his purpose. But be sure, be rest assured, everything God does is good. And that does not mean you should not begin to say, um, if something looks like bad, it can never be from God. No. What you should say is that since God cannot do anything bad, even if something seems to be bad, once you know it is from, if you know, if you are sure it is from God, particularly in scriptures, you say this is not bad. It's good. Are you listening to me? That's what the angels did when they saw him pouring rock, the kind of rock that was poured, boils and blood turned into water and all of that. And the angel said, Righteous God, Okare Olua. Because they understood. You don't use those situations to define God. God defines the situation. Let's look at a few other, one more controversy here. Does God kill? Can God kill? Very controversial subject. <laughs> and I don't want you to agree with me or disagree with me. I will just show you. You can be arguing with your Bible. However, let's understand once again. Everybody say, God is not my mate. One of the things that has been attacked in our generation by many mysterious speakers is the concept of the holiness, exclusiveness of God. We are sons of God who should be satisfied, but we are want to be God. We are the bride of Christ, we want to be Christ. And it's a problem. God is not your mate. Don't, don't worry. By mercy, He has extended fellowship to you. But don't overreach yourself. Are you following me? There is a perspective that God has that mankind will never have. Because of the infirmities of our flesh. Even the most intimate of sins will never have it. The infirmity of the flesh is a veil. It's a veil. That's why Paul groaned in Second Corinthians. He groaned. Because he wanted to be out of this body. Right? This body is so limiting. I want to walk through walls. I don't want to be hungry again. And like I think Mr. Sam was, was explaining the other day, I don't want to be praying and then I have to use the toilet. I want to have an immortal body. It will come, but not yet. Are we still together? There's a limitation that the natural frailties of humanity brings. So the concept of killing and death if you look at it from a natural perspective, you will misunderstand many things. We have established that many of the, or some of the things that people attributed to God was not God that killed. It's not God that killed Adam. It's not God that killed Cain. Satan came in. Satan is the one who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Some people have said emphatically that that statement does not refer to Satan when it says the thief commit not to steal, to kill, and to destroy. However, we know that if there was no Satan, there would be no physical death. Is that not so? But no physical death, that's very clear. But we saw writings in scriptures, New Testament, that affirm that God was the one overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah, God was the one drowning the first world. Um, 
Now, death from a natural perspective means the cessation of life. It means the end of life. That's how the natural man defines death. Is that not so? But that's not how scripture, in a holistic sense, defines death. For instance, in explaining death, Paul used languages such as sleep. Everybody says sleep. Is it good to sleep? <laughs> Paul also used statements like to be absent in the body and to be present with the Lord. That's how you define death. To be present with the Lord. Huh? Okay, so when you're talking about death from a natural perspective, you are seeing cessation of life. God does not see it like that. God will never see that. God cannot see it like that. In fact, for the saints, God sees sleep and then he also sees being present with me. Are you following? So, when you are asking questions like, can God kill? Define this concept of death very well. Define it. Now, the, what makes it controversial is fundamentally that Jesus is the express image of God. Nobody defined God as Jesus did. Jesus is the exact representation of God. That's what it means in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The express image of his person. The brightness of his glory. The exact representation of God. And then people say it's like Jesus did not kill anybody. Abi, did Jesus kill anybody? Some of you are not sure. So Jesus did not kill anybody. Alright. First of all, let's hear the opinion of Jesus on this issue of killing and death. And then we'll analyze this situation very well. Let's read Luke chapter 9, first of all. I want to talk about some of the killings that happened under the supervision. Let's check verse 52. Some of the killings and deaths that happened under the supervision of God's prophets. And sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Are we still together? And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Remember who Elias was? Elijah. Is that not so? Elijah or Elisha now each of them there's a particular story of a king trying to catch the prophet it was Elijah and then Elijah said if I'm a man of God so that was Elisha okay whichever one Elias whether Elijah or Elisha if you can get the scriptures that should be in first kings but anyway the story I'm giving is that Elijah or whoever the prophet was hiding on a mountain so just came 50 of them, I think, to arrest him. And he said, the, the soldier said, man of God, come down. And then the prophet said, if I'm a man of God, you are calling man of God, I want to arrest him, I want to arrest man of God. Okay, if I'm a man of God, let fire come and roast you. Become a soul, become a soul. It's not this one, it's not first it's simple. And then, the, angel, the king sent another 50 batch. And those also come, man of God, come down. If I'm a man of God, become as soon. Then the third batch, the borrowed sense. So I say, Oh God, no verse. 
Okay, it's Elijah actually. First King, Second Kings one. Ah, Elijah, a man of war. When Guru go. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that was this, the scenario that the apostles were referencing. Is that not so? Was Elijah a man of God? Are you sure he was not a man of Shango? Man of God, Abi. So the apostle said, Jesus, you said, show them, show, give them. If you don't give them, how will they take it? Give them. They took the decision to what they did. They took the decision to show them. Hot, hot. Look to nine. Jesus answered in verse 55. He rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And went to another place. Now, listen. Jesus was not condemning Elijah's ministry. No, he wasn't. I taught you that in the Old Testament, there was there were laws that curbed the full multiplication of sins. Are we together? That was the dispensation Elijah operated under. Anybody can say, if I'm Elijah, I will not kill them. But you have not been faced by 50 soldiers before. Who are very, and the reason they are capturing you is not for negotiation. They want to cut your head. They have not been faced with Jezebel's army before. So anybody can say, eh. I remember to Apostle Theophilus, that Juma was saying that. Why does Christians not do certain things? Like, if an enemy comes, do something. You may not be able to kill them, but say, at least give them blindness. Then later, open their eye. That's what Elisha did, I think. Elisha was a little bit more. When they came, he, he gave them blindness. And if you think that was only an Old Testament thing, Paul did it too. In Acts 16, I think, one man was trying to distract somebody from the gospel. Paul said, I dash you blindness. Take it, take it, take it. You know the year what you just mind. So, uh, anyway, anyway, just that's just in case you are trying to say judge Elijah or judge Elijah and I wicked people Jesus does not make anybody blind please note that uh, it's easy to say from the outside are we getting it let us be coming down to interpret this thing you don't just point at Elijah and say he did not walk in love be careful even Elijah no be your mate I know you shall be speaking tongue but be careful you will get to heaven you will see that man you are talking about Elijah okay it's Acts 13 you see Elijah you go respect him more So Jesus was not condemning Elijah's ministry. He was saying that in his own time, destruction was seemingly valid to curb the excesses and the sinful tendencies. I'm not saying Elijah could have not used another approach. We talked about Elijah's approach. But I'm saying, you don't read this kind of verse and begin to paint Elijah as a murderer. I'm going to say, Elijah the murderer. Who is Elijah? A prophet. A man of God. You don't call him a killer. Can Elijah kill? For that's not the conversation here. He's a man of God. That's his identity. He's a prophet of God. He's so important that even after his death, there were subsequent mentions of his operations. You 
Quran Quran says murderer, killer, assassin. Be careful. Let's have some respect here. Are you following it? So when you say things like, can God kill? And you use this statement. And you say to them, God was not with Elijah at that time. Elijah was an assassin at that time. That's not how to properly decipher the situation. Jesus said, well, I am not come. I came not to destroy men's lives. We are not saying Elijah came to destroy men's lives. But whatever situation Elijah was, that was how he acted on his own. Me, I came to save people. This dispensation, this delay of the Lord's evil, I came to save. God has always been a saving God, of course, but the provision of salvation was fully deployed when Jesus came. Are you listening to me? And God was not going to overlook the transgression of men and just say, I just, okay, 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 no. There were many things that had to be covered, punished decisively. It was so that sin will not now become overblown and then the ultimate plan of redemption will not be a reality. So, when you read this, don't be quick to call Elijah a wicked person or a murderer or a killer. That's not how to interpret things like this. Luke chapter 12 and verse 3. We are still trying to answer the question, if God is good, why did God kill? And if you don't agree that God killed, let's hear what Jesus said in verse 4 and 5, or verse 5 and 6, I think. I will forewarn you whom you shall fear, fear him which after he had killed, had power to cast into hell. No, so that you don't think it's a spiritual conversation, start from verse 4. I say unto you, my friend, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Everybody say, kill the body. So we know what we're talking about here. And after that, they have no more they can do. A man can kill another man's body, but he can't really do anything after that. I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he has killed that power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Okay. So, Jesus did not suggest that the the concept of killing can never exist in God. That's not how Jesus taught it. Jesus taught that you should respect somebody, God, who actually can. He did not also teach that God goes on a killing spree. No. But he thought that he can. And if you read scriptures, you will now understand that well. People in Noah's ark, they did not swim. The people in Noah's generation, they actually died. Is that not so? And if they don't die, then die. Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire rose to them. So, that's something to note about God's power. The concept that suggests that an angel did all the killings, like I said, gives an impression that angels are disorderly and there is an incident in Acts where Herod was killed by an angel as he used to portray this point. Herod was talking and people said, this is not the voice of men. It's the voice of God. An angel accepted the priest and an angel, the Bible says an angel smote him. I'm going to remember the story. And some people can use that as the basis that every death that happened is not God. Every death that happened is not God. It's another controversial story of Ananas and Sapphira. Many people teach that that attack killed Ananas and Sapphira. Some people teach that Peter killed Ananas and Sapphira. And that God was not involved. And all of that, I think, is just, like I said, it's not too smart as a Christian to come to these kind of conclusions. And that's because we see and define death only from a natural perspective. Now, 
I believe that the people that died in the Old Testament, such as Sodom and Noah's generation, it is right to say God killed them. However, it is not right to say God is a killer. That's not the way to say it. Just like I cannot say Elijah is a killer, is a murderer. The idea is part of the, is an expression of God's justice. So this is it. If a, a judge sentences a terrorist to death, somebody was caught. His name is John. He's a terrorist. There are Christian terrorists too in Sudan. Hello. There are people. They say they are Christian. Just the way we have Islamic terrorists, they are Christian terrorists. They say they are fighting the lost battles. And they kill a lot of people. Now, right now. So let's say this guy's name is John. He's a terrorist. He's caught. And then a judge, I'm the judge, Judge Judah, says, Well, sentenced to death, a firing squad. The law does not call me a murderer because I sentenced somebody to death. Hello? No, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a killer either. In fact, I'm a just judge. If it is just, it is not seen as murder or killing. That's not how it's interpreted. For matters... Now, let me just stretch the conversation and close with this. Let me close my tab. If not, I'll just keep... Even the video camera has left me alone. Uh, For a recompense of wickedness or for a, a consequence of sin, we may be able to relate with that. But some of us may not be able to relate with. When I say sin, I'm talking about recompense or a consequence of sin from a sinner. Some of us may be able to relate with things like First Corinthians chapter 11, where people actually slept. And what is sleep in this context? Okay, let's check it out. First Corinthians chapter 11. Let's check verse 23. There about. For this cause, some of you are asleep. That's what I want to read. Okay, so read, come downwards. I'm not sure if it's upwards or downwards. When you get to the point where it says, For this cause, some of you sleep. That's what I'm looking for. So, so if it's not down, it's up. Okay, it's 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly amongst you, and many sleep. Now, don't take the King James for it. Put it in another version. Put it in another version. Right. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even what? Because it's death he's talking about when he says sleep. However, the death of a believer is called sleep. I believe Ananas and Sephora slept. I believe they were Christians, they just misbehaved, they slept. Are we together? Yes, when we get to it, we say, ah, and I ask you, they, I, I don't just sleep since, but I don't wake up now. He slept. So some of them are wondering, okay, how do you explain the goodness of God? And yet, death seemingly happens when people, for instance, disregard the body. This, is, this was taught to refer to reverence for the Lord's table. But I've heard Kenneth Higgins teach it, and he has taught it even with certain visions. I don't believe any vision here. 
But I can tell you that I believe in Kenezegin's visions. Kenezegin had several visions. He shared some of them in his book. I believe in visions. I believe his visions because there were always scriptures to back it up. All those, somebody went to heaven and they threw him out because he, he, he borrowed matches. And he, you know, I don't, that cannot be, that's, there's no, there's no case for that kind of a thing. Are you following me? What am I going to teach that? So, for instance, he, he said that he, so a man of God was sick, he went to pray and God said, don't pray. He will die. And he was like, why will he die? He's like, well, I am judging him and I'm putting him to sleep because the effect he's going to have on the body is too dangerous. For the greater good of the body, I'm calling him to come and rest. I'm putting him to sleep. Why? Well, he has not judged himself. If you judge yourself, you'll not be judged of God. That's what First Corinthians 11 teaches. He has refused to walk in love. He's spreading evil reports amongst the people. And it's influential. This often happens to influential people. Not just any normal Christian. It's influential. He has weight. So if I leave him in this body, it will be a cancer that will spread. Everybody will be affected. So for the good of the body, and for his own good, pass him. I believe that. Now, when I say that kind of because I don't think God is a killer. I don't, that's, that's not that's not a smart thing to say. I would say God is a good God. He thinks about the body and He preserves it. Are you following me? I would say God is a killer. So the arguments of God can God kill? Does God kill? It depends on what you mean by kill. It depends on what you mean by kill. Let me stop. If you have a question, I will answer in 10 minutes. Nico. Dr. Nicholas. I will answer. If you want to ask a question, raise your hand now. I want to know one, two, and that's, that's two questions. I'm like that. Go ahead. Thank you very much, sir. I want to ask, uh, are there ways we can delineate when things are from uh, seemingly bad things happens? And are there ways we can delineate if the, where is it coming from? Especially in our own lives or our friends' life, And also, how do we explain concepts like that of Job? Uh, is there a concept like God permitting... Uh, similarly bad things to happen to a believer. Yeah, Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I was going to say something else just before I answer the question. Things like natural disasters, floods, tycoons, and destructive elements of nature have also been used to suggest that there is no God. It is always say, where was God? When flood ravaged Nigeria and um, thousands of people were displaced on over, the world is sick. This is not the way God made it. Man fell. The consequence of that fall is that the entire world is sick because man's falling affected all creation. Are we still together? Yes, That's the idea of Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. The world waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The manifestation of the sons of God is not somebody doing disco or somebody showing his talents. It is the redemption of the earth from the sickness that Adam brought upon it. So the mosquito, the lion... It's God that made mosquitoes. Very difficult to believe. Or mosquito evolved. I don't know. But the entire earth is sick. And um, because of the consequence of man's fall. Lions were not supposed to eat flesh. 
man said was not even supposed to be eating animals. All of that happened because of the fall. The world is sick. So that's what explains all the natural disasters and all of that. It is not necessarily even directly traced to Satan. Although eventually you trace to Satan. Because if Satan did not tempt Eve, man will not fall and the world will not be sick. Do you understand that? But it is certainly not God. There are times where some of those natural disasters have been like the flooding in Noah's generation. That was a deliberate attempt to wipe out. Wipe out that one, even though this one was going, it was not a natural coincidence. Okay, but the perspective of another disaster should not be uh, where was God or even God is judging the world. No, that's not the right perspective uh, in our days. Um, your question let's talk about Job. It's a controversial issue. Most, and I, I subscribe to this side of a thought that Job opened the door through fear. The conversation suggests that, not suggests, that's what it's put in scriptures, that Job was afraid. Satan took permission from God and then he was granted permission and then Job was sick. And it's controversial, but it is not logically reasonable that God would um, that God would allow Job such calamities. You remember? One of the calamities of Job was not his health. His entire family died. It's not logical to believe that God allowed that just to prove a point that Job was righteous. It is reasonable to believe that fear opened the door to Satan and that on the basis of justice, once again justice, since the door is open, Satan had seemingly a, an access to hurt Job's family and Job. It's also reasonable because in all the conversation, Job did not even address Satan. So it was elongated. Um, many scholars believe it was just a matter of months. Um, it was elongated because Job felt it was from God. God is the one. And all this conversation with his friends. And please, when you read the book of Job, please note that many of the things the Fred said, although it's in the Bible, it's not correct. Because the friends' cases were trying to prove that it's God that is dealing with you. You're a bad man. It was Eliwood, the last guy that said, Ah, uh-uh, ah, you people have grey hair, but eh, lock or lock. How can you say it's God? Or how can you try to. They were in between just condemning Job and condemning God, kind of. And the man was like, Well, Eliwood was like, No. When you hear from God, you will discover that God is righteous and that He is not really the one responsible for your predicament, as it were. Subsequently, um, Job was restored and all of that. But then, if it was just the health matter, it's like a little less controversial. But that people died, and that God allowed all of that just to test Job's faith. Not, not, it doesn't add up to spiritual common sense. You understand? So most likely, Job opened, and it could have been, there, were, there could be details which, which I was not even mentioned. There could be details that were not mentioned. Right? But once you see that kind of mass destruction of God's people, we should look at Satan. This is Satan's work. We should not say, I'm another Job. If people are dying in your family, don't think you are Job. Don't, don't have that kind of impression. Resist the devil immediately. Do you understand that now? Does God permit? I would say that um, there are things that God permits. And it is not everything that God permits that is good. 
the wickedness happens in the world. When I say God permits it, it means that God will not use his sovereignty to override it. God will not use his all powerfulness and say, No, it's not happen. And uh, many times that happens. We now on this issue, I don't have an answer. But what the Bible teaches is that when that kind of thing happens, we should look forward to glorifying God despite the thing. That's why in talking about Job, I think James was the one that talked about let's learn the patience of Job. So the real lesson on Job's life was learn patience from him and all that. So um, I, I can however give an, a clue that based on some of the things that happened with Jesus and some of the things that happened with Israel, there are certain circumstances that God would seemingly not intervene because he's targeting a time where he would use it for a greater glory. That's why Jesus didn't come just at any time. It, the time was, if I come now, it will not be, it will not be full and holistic. Not, the effect will not be too rich. So let's wait, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. Come here now. And then, subsequently, the evil is still continuing. When Jesus will come again and then totally deal with evil, all those timings are specific. But you notice that there's a principle in scriptures you see called the cup being full. It's, it's dicey. Sometimes it is God patience in long suffering to open people repent and all of that. A lot of factors could be involved. But I can tell you emphatically when God seemingly does not override and some battles are happening, it's not because it's indifferent. Many times it could be targeting a greater glory. Sometimes it could be that the people involved are not resisting the devil and are not doing what they're supposed to do on their own part. And God may just step back. Like the Kenesikin's vision story about a demon interfering a conversation with Jesus. And then Jesus didn't do anything about it once he came and Hagin spoke and cast out the devil. So there are many of those issues that I don't have exact answers to. But from patterns in scriptures, I can say God does not always intervene with his sovereignty to remove evil. No. But when he does, he gets a great measure of glory from that. Hope you are clear, sir. I don't think I will answer that question here. Let me see if. Are you done? You are cleared already. Okay, ask your question. Will you want to raise your hand? Yes. If this question is short, maybe I'll answer the one at the back there. But we don't have time, sir. We're about to talk about um, an evil speech from the Lord torments um, uh, Saul. Then um, Acts 7 38. How that's my prayer that life is or put the mic on the back to um, to um, to Moses on the mountain. So and uh, how I didn't get to Okay, Act seven thirty eight, where it was declared that lively or Christ were delivered to um, Moses through an angels. Okay. So how do we marry to? We're explaining that okay, that the law that we're given to Moses was by God Himself, but here it said that delivered by angels to Moses. What I'm saying is that. The source of the law is from God. The, it is possible that messengers or a messenger delivered it, but the source is from God. You cannot say, if I give you the Bible, you cannot say, you cannot just say, Judah gave me a Bible, or this is the word of Judah because Judah that gave you. The Bible is God's word, it was given by God, but through certain in fact, I was talking about Moses. I mentioned angels. But I'm saying, yes, angelic, there were many angelic operations 
in the Old Testament that was referred to as seemingly God. But to say that the angel acted on his own accord, the angel went to go and write the law himself or cooked up the law is not reasonable. Because even when Jesus quotes the laws, he talks about it as something that came from God. When Jesus quotes the commandments, he doesn't talk about it as the commandments which the angels gave their fathers. No. That's not how Jesus spoke about the law. So, and once again, we have established the purpose of the law was also important in the redemption plan. It was all part of the redemption plan. To say that it came from just angels, just because an angel was involved in giving Moses. And, of course, there is no... In the scriptures, in the Old Testament writings, it's not written like this. Of course, but of course, by revelation, this must have been Stephen, I think, Acts 7, knew that, okay, the being that sometimes was called as Lord or Lord God was actually an angel. But it does not mean that it was sourced from an angel. That's the point. The source of it couldn't have been an angel. Angels played parts, just like angels came to proclaim the good news when Jesus was born. It does not mean that salvation comes from angels. That's the woman they can even preach the gospel. Angels cannot, should not even preach the gospel. Let me know what cannot, should not preach the gospel. So, you know, so, if you say that the law is from angel, you mean as a medium. The angels help to communicate the message, but it does not mean they wrote the law. You clear? Okay, let's do one more. My question is similar to the first person's question, and it is, when a bad thing happens, how do you know if it's from God or from the devil? Because you also said something bad can happen from, from, from God. And I was also talking about what? You, you said something, something bad can happen and it can be from God. Uh, so, that's not what I meant. An example, an example you okay. said is when... God takes the eyes of an evil person from some, for something good to happen. And God takes the eyes? Yes. Oh, oh Jesus, help my soul. Okay, let's listen very closely. Please sit down, my aunt. Sit down. Please, let's listen. Please. That's why, please pay attention. I beg you. Oh dear Lord, how do I explain this? Okay. God does not do evil. That is, first of all, established in scriptures. I am saying that if something that looks like evil happens, you are not supposed to say, this is God that did it. Because God has, because God has established that evil cannot be done by God, even though it seems like evil, you should have to say, well, this is not evil in the sense that God does evil. For the man that got blind when Paul spoke in Acts chapter 13, he might have said it is evil. But actually, because it was for the greater good of a politician receiving salvation, it was actually a good work. Because I'm sure that that man's salvation influenced several other people to be saved. Please, I hope you are still following me, Ma. I've not said the question, but I just want you to understand some of the things I said in passing. I'm not saying that God goes about giving people blindness. And that it's also a measure of his goodness. That's not, that's not how I said it. Um, whenever you see something that is contrary to God's will, you can know that it is not from God. 
Please follow me, woman of God. I will try and talk very slowly. So, let's start with things like sickness. It is not the will of God that anybody be sick. It's not the will of God. So, if somebody is sick, for instance, you should not think God is doing me good by giving me sickness. That's not the approach. Firstly, you should resist the devil and ensure that Satan is dealt with. Secondly, if he needs to repent, if his sickness is a consequence of his wrong actions, he should repent. Now, if his sickness is a consequence of his wrong actions, it is possible that based on the laws that God sets in motion, of cause and effect, the laws that God... Are you still following me, Ma? The laws that God sets in motion, of cause and effect, is God has said it's emotional. He is now suffering. Maybe the example we gave in First Corinthians 11... People dishonored the body and some of them were sick. We are not going to look at it as God giving people sickness. That's not the way to really look at it. The way to look at it is that you want, you want I should stop talking. I can't hear you. Are you clear? I wanted to let you know that I won't say something else when you are done. Okay. Let's let's try and let's do this one first very closely before you say something else please. are we still together church it's, so you cannot say God was giving people sickness out of his goodness in First Corinthians 11 it was that they did something that attracted a consequence so back, back to our conversation of choices I don't know if you were in church if you, did you come at the beginning of the service did you come when I started teaching you came late Can you hear me? What time did you come to church? Okay, were you, were, were you in church when I started teaching? No, when you started. Okay. So there are some things you did not get, and you will never get. Actually, so you have to go back and hear them, hear what I said from the beginning. I want to encourage you to come early to church. If not, there will be some confusions that are not necessary. Before you came, I spoke about choices. I spoke about that God is sovereign, but He allows man to make choices. And that there are also consequences of certain actions. That although it was God that set up the laws that those consequences will follow, you cannot blame it on God. For instance, I said, it's not God that killed Adam. Adam ate a tree. God warned him, don't eat this tree. If you eat of it, you will die. Adam ate it. But it's not God that killed Adam. But you, could, you can easily come and blame God and say, it's God that said, did it, Adam eat it, he would die. That's not the approach, that's not the perspective to it. So, I was explaining that if something is not God's will, you resist the devil, you check if you need to repent. Because it may be because of something wrong that you are doing. Like I give an example of Kenneth Hagin saying that some people, God took them home. Because they refuse to judge themselves and repent from their evil works. So God said, for the good of the body, come home. So, it's not as straightforward as God killed them out of his... God killed them to show goodness. It is that their own actions brought them to a point of sleep. It's not like God killed them. This man was obstructing God's salvation plan and then Paul, Paul commanded blindness to him. When the politician put it in Acts chapter 13, saw that the man was blind, he gave his life to Christ. Kia, kia. He said, ah, I surrender. I surrender. Immediately surrendered. Before he was not agreeing. So I'm saying that uh, 
That man now, he cannot just say, Paul, don't blend me for nothing. This is when Jesus they blend everybody. That's not what happened. We are preaching the gospel, we are disturbing us. We are preaching the gospel, we are disturbing us. Okay, go and rest. Since because you can see, that's why it's a goddess. That's, how, that's the way it should be interpreted. But it does not mean that God is giving away the blindness. No. That's, do, do you understand me, Ma? I'm sorry, I cannot take your second question. It's 11 o'clock. It's not a question. Ah, if it's a question, then don't bother, please. If it's a comment, I'm the only one who's supposed to be making comments now. Thank you for your time. <laughs> We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.